Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Or as I remember from a kid, jingle bells, Batman smells, Robin laid an egg. Merry Christmas to all of you, and a blessed new year to all of you. Happy Epiphany. Happy wonderful feast days that we are having during this time of the year. This is Father Sean, the star of Father Sean's podcast. In fact, I am also the worst member of this podcast. This is, in fact, uh, my favorite of the podcasts that I do because it's the only one. Anyways, uh, again, a sincere Merry Christmas to y'all. Uh, may God continue to bless you in many, many ways, and we continue to give thanks for 2020. Kind of a tough year in a lot of different ways for a lot of different people, a lot of sorrows, a lot of challenges, but we do believe that there were many, many blessings in this year, and maybe even most of those we're not even aware of, and probably for those it's most important to give thanks for them because they've got to be real. We do believe that they're there, and we're giving thanks. Thanks be to God. Thank you, dear Lord. I would like to reflect a little bit more on Christmas today, uh, just using some of my homily from Christmas Day, uh, in tandem with what Pope Francis proclaimed as the year of St. Joseph. So St. Joseph, kind of his claim to fame is Christmas Day and the kind of Christmas season there. When he was walking with Mary to Bethlehem, he's having all these angel dreams. Uh, but most importantly, he's right there next to the manger looking at Christ. And certainly his role at the nativity is significant and it's worth a deeper, more closer examination and reflection. So let's do this to get today together here. And let us begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We praise you, O Lord. We bless you. We adore you. We glorify you. We honor you. We venerate you. We lift you up in our hearts. And to the extent that the Holy Spirit allows us, we worship you and we lay down our lives before you so that you may receive us as your children as co-heirs of the Father for the whole kingdom that you possess, the whole kingdom that you are. And to serve you, dear Lord, is to reign. We ask all of this, we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So my first part of the reflection here will be drawing from the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, in the Gospel of Matthew, kind of the story picks up with Joseph, right? There was this whole story picks up with, with Joseph, where we learn that he is betrothed to Mary. The word betrothed means that they have entered into a covenant together. It's more than an engagement. But also, this betrothal is not the marriage that we know where the husband and wife are under the same roof. So this is to say, at the time when they were married, but before they moved in together, which we can also assume before a couple would share intimacy together, he received some news that she was expecting a child. Shocking. Like, this is totally shocking for any guy. This is just mind-blowing. Like, what? I have not been with my wife, and she's expecting a child? What? And, you know, there would be conclusions that would be very easy to draw. <laughs> there really would be. And this would be a very, very 
grave assumption to conclude. Because in the law of Moses, when someone is an adulterer, they take them outside of the town and they stone them. They stone adulterers. That's kind of what they did. Now, it says that Joseph was a just man. That's like the only thing we know about him. He was a just man. Um, and let's talk about justice just real quick here. Justice is rendering to someone what is due to them. To give one their due. And we have the image and likeness of God. Therefore, it is due to us a good name until proven otherwise. Now, so therefore, we can conclude that in justice, one ought not to be quick to judge, quick to accuse, but needs to go through the full process of kind of coming up, not coming up, but investigation of the truth. Joseph didn't jump to conclusions. Joseph did not shout out and make accusations. He was planning on just separating from her in silence. And the church fathers will go through a number of different ideas of, of what all that meant. Maybe he was thinking, oh my gosh, there's something crazy going on here, and I'm not worthy to be a part of it. Or he just didn't understand, and the not understanding, he's like, well, I'm just... I just, I don't get it, but I can't kill her either. <laughs> so, so he's not going to do that either. And there's just, I think there's three primary theories there. I can't remember them all. But regardless, he didn't jump to conclusions. He was just to maintain her good name until it was proven otherwise. And he decided that he would separate in, in silence. We would be very good also to act in accordance with Joseph's example. To be slow to judge to be slow to accuse, to not complain, and to not abandon people unnecessarily. Um, you know, sometimes people are, are what's the word that people use these days? Toxic. And you know what? You kind of do got to separate. You got to put them to the side. But at the same hand, like, that's pretty extreme. That's very rare circumstances for us. So let's imitate Joseph in being slow to judge and respecting people's good names until it is clear that we have evidence that we can make a judgment upon for the other, for anything that goes against their, their good name. And then he had a dream. Joseph, do not be afraid to take Mary into your house. Do not be afraid. This is kind of what the angel's leading with. Don't be afraid. And the reason why he would be afraid is because there is a stigma against people who can't control themselves before marriage, who, just to kind of put it bluntly here, who can't keep their pants on. And his whole life, he'd be like, oh, there's Joseph, there's that guy, he just couldn't keep himself contained. And then it would also be a stigma for Mary, and it would also be a stigma for their son Jesus. And maybe when, when later on in Jesus' life, they're like, hey, aren't you the son of Joseph and Mary? And now you're claiming all these big things. Maybe in the back of their mind, they remember that stigma. Like, oh wait, we know how you were conceived. You were conceived out of what is proper marriage. I don't know. That could quite possibly be in their mind. So, he did good anyways. He did good anyways. The angel told him, don't be afraid. 
and there he could be afraid of this stigma, and he just obeyed the angel anyways. I'm going to do good, he said. And for us, we need to recognize that there are stigmas against us. We can think of the stigma against our firmness regarding our stance on abortion. We can think of the stigma against our what they would consider to be whining against religious liberty, how we think that religion's got to be in every part of our lives, blah, 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 blah. It's not blah, 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 blah at all. It's super true. But they get annoyed. They get tired of it. And we kind of get pushed into a little bubble here to the point where, like, there are some Catholics who can't even say Merry Christmas to someone at Walmart. They would say Happy Holidays. Uh, it is a pet peeve of mine. It's not a pet peeve of mine. I don't even... <laughs> I don't even register very often. But every once in a while, I'll get a Christmas card from a parishioner that says, Happy Holidays! And maybe the word holidays comes from the word holy days. By the same hand, that's not how we use that word today. And so, they've fallen into that fear, for that stigma. I'm not making that accusation for all of them. I'm not judging everyone in that way. But I'm saying that is a risk that we fall into. When Joseph awoke, he did as the angel commanded. Prompt obedience. A very simple example here. He had the stigma, which could have caused fear, and he did good anyways. May we do good anyways, but may we also do it promptly. Have a good, prompt obedience. Let's say after the Christmas season here, you are realizing that you need to cut back on your sugar intake. But at the same hand, you decide that as you're hopping into your car, you better grab that little bit of sugar anyways, that little little cookie that was there, a piece of candy, you're just going to put in your car. You're not going to eat it now. And you know God doesn't probably want you to eat it because you've had plenty already. But you're just going to put it there. Just to throw away when you get to work, right? Well, maybe not. <laughs> maybe not. And this is not prompt obedience. You might not end up eating that. But this is very slow obedience, should you choose not to eat it. And when it's a slow form of obedience, then there's more time for the door to be opened for disobedience. Uh, we can also use an example of church teachings. There's a lot of people who are like, well, I don't know about all this. Not only is it not prompt obedience, but it's prompt disobedience. And they just kind of ride it off which is very, very sad. Uh, very sad because they claim to believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church, except for the fact that I'm not going to believe in them <laughs> when, the, when they want to teach me something. <laughs> it's like, what? I don't quite get this. It would be a totally different church if Christians, and specifically Catholics, but Christians in general, if they had the attitude of kind of the stance towards God and saying, God, you reveal... I obey. You reveal God, and I will obey you. Just kind of simple like that. You reveal, I obey. Be a total game changer. And then we have the line in the Gospel of Matthew, He had no relations with her until she bore a son. Now this word until, in the phrase until she bore a son, for some people they will be like, Aha! I knew that the Catholic belief on the perpetual virginity of Mary was false. Right there you have it. They did have relations. Well, you have to look at the Greek. 
because the Greek, uh, that word for until, can mean until sometimes, but it can also mean during the time up before this moment that it refers to. So, using the, the fullness of the Greek definition, we can read this to say, he had no relations with her before the time she bore a son. It doesn't speak of anything after. Uh, so, we can conclude that this does not disprove the doctrine on Mary's perpetual virginity. But at the same hand, it does not prove it either. It doesn't say, well, ha-ha, she never had relations with Joseph. We believe that, but we are using other scriptural and tradition sources to, to believe that. And then... The Gospel of Matthew, in its infancy narrative, ends. It is finished. Uh, they, they talk a little bit more about the Magi, I suppose, but that's kind of what where the reading stops for Christmas Day, those readings there, for the Vigil of Christmas. But we still know a lot more, don't we? Heck yes, absolutely. We hear that they had to travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And that stinks. You know, pregnant women nine months pregnant there, they don't want to hop into a car for 90 miles, let alone to get up on a donkey and ride 90 miles. That just seems like torture. That's a multiple day trip. That's a lot of hours on top of a donkey for someone who is not pregnant and for some, and even a pregnant woman who's not nine months pregnant. Like this is the worst. This is the worst. And Joseph being a just man, a good husband, he would have gone to the Romans and said, Hey, look, my wife is pregnant. You don't get it. Like, sh she can't go. I need to delay this trip. And they would have said no. You gotta be kidding me. Or the Romans were making you do it. And then he would have said, okay, well, how about if I just go alone? You know, she can stay with her family, and I'll go there, I'll do all the paperwork you want me to do, and I'll do it on her behalf, and it'll be fine, right? And the Romans are like, no, this is our command. This is what we're gonna have you do. Do it. And then Joseph learned the tough lesson, which we'd have already have known, but he continued to, to live this virtue of suffering injustice well. This is part of the virtue of fortitude, very similar to the virtue of patience or meekness. He suffered this injustice well. He didn't grumble as he was going with Mary. He would not have liked it, but he would not have grumbled. Today, we have a culture that responds to injustice either by two ways. Two things that, that happen and the world is, is smiling upon and says, hey, this is all right. On the one hand, you are supposed to get triggered so that you will go out there and fight down the injustices that are, that are attacking you. You should be highly angry. Be triggered. And I'm not saying there's no such thing as righteous anger, but it mean, needs to be done in absolute, total, full control to be angry for the right thing, with the right person, for the right reason, at the right time, in the right way, with the right words, etc., etc. This is righteous anger. It's not being triggered and, and lashing out. Absolutely not. That is childish. The other reaction that our culture stamps as good is by running away to a safe space. 
and to flee what might be a responsibility. I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with like uh, taking refuge under a, an attack that you cannot uh, withstand. Like that makes a lot of sense. But at the same hand, you can't run away from everything. You have to face people. You have to face them even when you can't respond to them. And that's tough. This is why this is a virtue, to suffer injustice well. This is the virtue of uh, longanimity, suffering evil well, especially over a long period of time. Again, very similar to patience and to meekness. All these are sub-virtues of fortitude, to stand your ground, to keep with your good decision. And it was a tough decision, not a fun one, but he had to do it. And so he and Mary, very pregnant Mary, they went down to Bethlehem. And when they got to Bethlehem, the burdens continue. It's not like they could hop down from that donkey and say, woof, all right, let's, let's rest up a little bit. And this was because of two different reasons. First, because she was starting to have her baby. It's like, well, you can't rest when you're having a baby. <laughs> not at all. And the second reason is because they could not find shelter. You know, in the basic human needs, shelter is one of them. Food, water, clothing, shelter. And they knocked at the place that was supposed to give guests shelter for pay. It wasn't a charity for pay. And they said, you know what? We're full here. This inn is full. There was no space for them in the inn. And they were up a creek without a paddle. And she's having a baby. The innkeeper would have been a total jerk. There's just no way around it. It's like, oh, I, I, I hear you, Mr. Joseph. I, I understand your wife is having a baby, but sorry, it's just not going to work. There's no space. You know, what am I supposed to do? Kick people out? The answer would be yes, <laughs> but, uh, but he said no. And the next thing, this is probably what should have happened first, is that he would have found a different place to live, and Joseph and Mary could have stayed in their room to have that baby. Well, that didn't happen. This innkeeper was a jerk for whatever reason. We don't know the context. And so again, Joseph had to lead Mary in suffering evil well. And because of the unique situation of her having a baby, it was a unique degree of suffering there in a being, being abandoned by humankind and having no compassion, living this this time of their life with no mercy, no one reaching out a helping hand to them. And so as they suffered evil well, they had to do it with a spirit of detachment because the only place that they could find was in a barn, or maybe it was a cave, regardless it was fit for animals and for animals only. And apparently it was fitting, it was more fitting than being outside in an alleyway. So they gave birth to their son there with a spirit of attachment. Jesus was born not into riches, but into poverty. And we need to learn to have this spirit of detachment just like them. And when things don't go our way, and when we even have resources to have more, to have the spirit of detachment means to say, okay, I'm, I don't need stuff. Stuff doesn't matter. I'm detached from stuff. I'm detached from possessions. 
And even like we think of St. Thomas More, you know, as he was holding his ground against the king's desire to to marry after he got a divorce, and Jesus calls that adultery in Scripture. Well, as he's holding that ground, he loses his job. That is to say, he loses all the luxuries of his life. He gets thrown into prison. He is accused. He is put on trial. Ultimately, he loses his own life. This is called <laughs> detachment. And St. Thomas More is a wonderful example of detachment, for he had some real riches. What would spirit of detachment look like for us? In our world, there would be much less debt because people would have cars that run, but cars that are not nice. People would have houses that are sufficient, but not necessarily houses that are overly sufficient. People would give fewer gifts at Christmas. And the benefit from that would be that kids would not be selfish. <laughs> they would be more obedient. That's to say, kids, when they get a lot of stuff, they become spoiled. And that has a real repercussions, not just at Christmas time, but throughout the year. Probably especially during Christmas time, but uh, they get used to just getting what they want throughout the year. And they live like it. It's kind of sad to say. But there's also a positive development, a positive element for the spirit of detachment. Because it's a detachment from things of this life to be attached to things of the next life, things that are eternal. And so, even like just using the example of money, if we don't spend so much money on things that we don't need, we're able to now invest that money in things that are eternal, in our tithing and in our stewardship and in our generosity. We can now invest in uh, better forms of religious education. We can invest in pilgrimages. We can invest in service trips. We can invest in giving money to the poor, which is probably the greatest of investments for eternity. We can invest in beautifying the churches that we, that we are attending. These are some of the benefits. I remember I have a great uncle, and he and his wife came up with the conclusion that, you know what, after we die, we're going to give our kids everything. But what the heck does that mean? They could spend it on anything. I want, he, this is my conversation that I'm imagining that he had with himself. I want, well, this is essentially what he, what he told me, what I've heard. I want my kids to have the greatest impact from my wealth that they possibly can. So instead of waiting until I die to give it to them, I am going to put that money into a trip so that we can go on a service trip together, so we can serve the poor together and be part of a religious group so that they can grow in their faith and hope and charity. And when I heard this, I was like, you know what? This guy understands the situation. Like, if you miss the mark and then you die, you miss the mark forever. Like, you don't go to heaven. And he got that. And he's like, you know what? I don't want that for my kids. <laughs> like, I want to make sure that they're aiming well, that they're going to hit the mark, that they're aiming at heaven. And I got all these resources, and I'm going to put them to work here. I'm going to make them, uh, make them work for the salvation of my children. And I respect that a ton. I love that. I love hearing that. 
And then the last point here that I have, the last observation of St. Joseph, is that after Mary gave birth, he looked at this little baby. He looked at this baby, and he remembered what the angel told him. That this was going to be the Son of the Most High. He's going to be great in some weird way, some way that Joseph would not have understood. These shepherd children, maybe they're adults, I don't really know. The shepherds came in, and they said, Oh yes, he will be Lord. He will be Son of God. He will be Messiah. And Joseph just would not have been able to understand. It would have been well beyond his understanding to 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 make any kind of conclusion and to have come with to come to grips with all this. And so he would have not understood. But being a man of faith, he would have believed. And in believing, he would have gotten on his knees. And on his knees, he would have adored the Son of the true God, who is also the Son of Mary, who is also his foster son. And he had the unique privilege of adoring and worshiping him for the first time in the history of the world alongside of Mary and these shepherds. This is beautiful. But it doesn't have to be Joseph to be, and Mary and the shepherds to be the only ones who get the honor of doing this. Absolutely not. We are able to worship him the same way. Perhaps, let's say, in the Eucharist. Who in the world gets it? Who in the world understands the beauty of the Eucharist? The answer is nobody. But being a people of faith, we believe. And being a people of belief, we get on our knees. And on our knees, we adore and worship. For he is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the true God, the Son of the Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And so, my brothers and sisters, as we are leaving Christmas season, let us leave with a spirit of adoration that we continue to maintain throughout the entire year. May God bless you in this year of our Lord, 2021. May it be the best year of your life. And I will return with the next edition of Father Sean's podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Talk to you later. Bye.